0: You're listening to the New City Church Podcast. These episodes are recorded live on Gadigal land. Sometimes the audio quality might not be perfect because what you're listening to is a conversation. We don't edit out the chatter. We think that's what makes it authentic. Wherever you're tuning in from, we hope you find this episode encouraging.
1: kind of straight into Bible reading time um, and we've also got another special guest within our community on that as well. Hi everybody! I am zooming in from Hobart right now. I'll give you a view. Look how pretty this is. I miss you all. Um, I miss New City Church. I'm doing the Bible reading for today. The reading is from John 8, 48-59. I'm going to turn Taylor Swift off. Jesus claims about himself. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honour my Father and you dishonour me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you were demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I only glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, for Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds.
0: Good evening. How we doing? Good. Um, Can I add my welcome Uh, if this is your first time here or if you count yourself newish at all? um, Add my welcome to Steph's. Uh, It's so good to have you here. Uh, We hope that this is a relevant time for you. We hope that it is uh, comfortable, that you feel like you can ask questions, grow, learn, be challenged. Whether you are um, a veteran of the church or new to church, it's just so good to be here. And how nice is it to be back in person? you um so uh, i i'm loving it um welcome to our people online as well there you are it's good to have you here as well and um thomas or someone will be manning the the typing so you can ask questions as we go um typically uh if you have questions as we go through or you have comments throw your hand up like please don't let this be too much of a monologue i have thoughts from the passage that Gemma just read for how nice was it to see Gemma? Lovely. Uh, Gemri is like a beautiful part of our community, got whisked away to work uh, filming down south, but she'll be back one day. That's the dream. Um, uh, Where was I going with that? Something about it's good to be back in person. I don't know. I don't know. It's good to be here. Um, Hopefully, um, yeah, this is a time where you can just sit back and relax and enjoy thinking about some big things. Uh, And afterwards, we're going to the pub together, uh, which is always a highlight for me. Um, shall we just jump into some stuff? Let, let me introduce by talking about this. Um, I was thinking about it and when you're introducing a theme, it's always good to have a bit of a story that goes along with the theme. We're talking about light and dark and I was racking my brain thinking about all the different things that we could talk about with light and darkness. Um, but there's one key thing that you need to know about me and most of you probably have already known this, uh, but it's, it's kind of fundamental to who I am. It's a core part of my identity. Um, and that is that I'm a sleepwalker. Do we have any other sleepwalkers in the room? No. None. There you go. Um, uh, well, you should all be sleepwalkers, because it's great fun. Um, my... I I have a a sleep disorder of somewhat. Thomas was a sleep scientist, so he knows what's going on. I just, like, give you the the non-jargony version, which probably doesn't actually make sense. I have some sort of sleep disorder, which means that I act out my dreams. So most people, if you're normal, you're paralyzed while you're asleep. For me, it's the other. I, like, I just like get up and do whatever I'm dreaming. Um, and often, historically, my dreams have been really quite violent. Uh, you know, like buildings burning and collapsing and da da da, da. and I'm the saviour. So I'm there, and I am rescuing people, and I'm like, Thomas can attest to this. There's been times where I've, like, grabbed him. I'm like, you're okay. You're okay. You're fine. I've got you. And he's like, Joel, I know. I'm fine. And he's like, no, no. I've got you. And I was like, ah. Oh. Um, but I'm there. And, like, you know, these things are collapsing, and I'm just like, whoa, I'm awesome. Um, and I can see everything crystal clearly, because I'm moving around the bedroom or the hallway, like, grabbing stuff, protecting people, pulling stuff out of my cupboard um, but in reality it's pitch black um, and so i'm actually just like bumping into things and running into walls and slamming doors on my face and um when i was younger like i i've had black eyes i've had car turtles it's actually not that great um, because in reality i can't see um, anyway there's something that you need to know about me that's a fun fact isn't it um, yay um, I, can, I can tell you more stories later um, but it's, uh, it, you know, there's my little introduction to light and dark. When it's light, you can see. When it's dark, you can't. Um, the, the, that's kind of as, as profound as it needs to get in some ways, doesn't it? Um, and every every philosophy, every religion that you come across uses light and dark as a bit of a metaphor. Because it's so... Visceral it's real. It's it's your everyday stuff like it makes sense to use light and dark as a metaphor and sometimes that metaphor is for uh, knowledge uh, so it's you know it's the accumulation of knowledge, and as you get more knowledge, you gain more light. Um, sometimes it's for illumination. So as you approach a certain state, it's spoken about as approaching a sense of light. Um, sometimes it's spoken about as morality. And so you know if you are full of light, then you are a deeply moral person. Uh, what else could it be? Sometimes it's spoken about as um, like a, an ethereal kind of state. And so, you know, you, you have darkness and then you have the light and you're working towards the light. Um, there's all these different ways that light and darkness, and even in the Bible, there's many different ways that light and darkness are used. But throughout the book of John, the, the idea of light that Jesus presents, it's a little bit more than all of that. When it comes to Jesus and particularly chapters six through eight, which is kind of where we're finishing tonight... Light is almost like this paradigm of living. Light is this paradigm for how we see the world. Um, it's it's a way of thinking, a way of being, a way of existing, and it's all culminated by this ultimate light—the uh, light of Jesus—and um, Jesus is described as the light of the world. Do, do we does that make sense so far? Um, so. Uh, Here's the plan. First of all, I'm going to set the scene for chapters six through eight ish, uh, talk about kind of how we got here. Uh, Then I'm going to look at this vision of what it means to follow the light. Um, And I think Jesus is casting this huge vision, which I find utterly enthralling. Um, So we're going to kind of break that down a little bit. Um, And then I'm going to tell you why I don't want to follow the light. Um, And that's kind of where I'll I'll give a little bit of reflections on how this has impacted me through the week. Um, So it's setting the scene, capturing the vision that Jesus gives, and then I'll explain why sometimes I'm not a big fan of the light, um, because I think it's important just to name it. Um, Making sense so far? Beautiful. Um, Let's set the scene. Steph has already said that Uh, The the chapters that we're in, Jesus is speaking at the Festival of Tabernacles, this huge Jewish festival that takes place. Um, And on one night of the festival, there's what's called the Ceremony of Illumination. Um, And on this night, picture it as, uh, as the vivid of the ancient Near East. Um, The temple is lit up. So they light these huge flames all around the temple and they they light it up um, and it's illuminated. And Jesus uses this moment as kind of an object lesson to say like, see what's happening here? See this vivid, see the opera house? Um, When Jesus Jesus sees that and he says, I'm the light of the world. This is in John 8 verse 12. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, I'm going to uh, stretch your memories a little bit because it was a while ago that we, we were in John um, last year sometime. We, we started this church in June, July, July 12th of 2019. And we started with John and we went through a few chapters. And then, sorry. Oh, just joking, 2020. Um, and we went through a few chapters, and then we took a pause, and then we were going, because we want to do it justice. John is so rich, it's so dense, and if you're in it for too long, you just get, like, overwhelmed. It's kind of like taking a sip from a fire hydrant. It just doesn't work. Um, we we want to really kind of wrestle with it and understand it. So we, we, we've broken it down into chunks, and this is our first week back in it. So we've kind of taken a bit of a hiatus, and here we are in the middle of this discourse, and... Uh, if, we, if we cast our minds back a little bit, Jesus has been talking about this light for a little while, a couple of chapters now, and started to flesh out, well, what is this paradigm? What is this paradigm of living that Jesus gives us? Um, and so I'm just going to throw out a couple of things that Jesus speaks about. One is freedom. Um, Jesus says to be a person of the light is to be a person of freedom. You're no longer a slave, Jesus says. And in that context, he's saying you're no longer a slave to sin. Um, That is, everything that ties down, everything that binds, the structures, the heartaches, all of the stuff that can tear us apart from our connection to each other, connection to God, connection to creation, connection to our own hearts. You're no longer a slave to all that. Um, And Jesus says, if you're going to live in the light, you get to be free. So that's one of the things that Jesus says. Um, and then there's this section that doesn't really fit in the manuscript. It feels like it's kind of been ripped up and inserted in uh, quite clunkily. Um, and the reason it feels like that is because we're pretty sure it has been. Um, we're pretty sure that somewhere along the line in the first centuries of the church, the community around, uh, around the church had this little story about Jesus. And they were like, we really need to insert it somewhere. Um, like It's such a good story, and um, historians, a lot of them think that, yeah, the story probably happened, and they're like, oh, where do, where do we chuck something like this, uh, like this little gold nugget, this scene from Jesus' life, and they're like, well, it kind of feels like it's, you know, it's Jesus demonstrating what life looks like, and so we think historically, maybe the community thought, well, let's just chuck it in John 8, um, and so Jesus is talking, Jesus is talking, all's going really well, and then all of a sudden, we have a scene change that doesn't quite fit the, the conversation, Um, And if you've been around churches for a while, you'll know the story. This is the story when a woman who is caught in the act of adultery is ripped by the religious leaders and thrown before Jesus. And they say, what do we do with her? What should we do? And really, it's a trap. It's a trap that the religious leaders have set. And say, Jesus, what, what should we do with this woman? Uh, now there's all sorts of issues with this story like you know number one where was the man Um, uh, but the scene unfolds and Jesus kneels down he writes something on the ground we're not quite sure what he takes a pause steps up and he says let he who is without sin cast the first stone and then we're back at the temple and we just keep going And it feels like this kind of whiplash, like, where did this story come from? But as I was sitting with it this week, I was like, no, that's genius. Uh, Because the early community, I I tend to think, were like, okay, well, this is Jesus demonstrating what he's talking about. Um, This is Jesus living out what it means to be a person of the light. This is Jesus being light. This This is lightness personified and sure we can talk about it in kind of grand theories and metaphors and talk about paradigms but at the end of the day it's visceral it's humans interacting with humans it's God interacting with humans it's it's the way that we speak to one another the way we care for one another and so at least I think at least a part of what we're supposed to see from John to this point is that living in the light is this profound casting off of shame Living in the light is stepping into the presence of God and knowing that God cares deeply about us. Living in the light is stepping into the presence of God and knowing that we are perfect, that we are pure. Um, Stepping into the presence of God and knowing that, as Karen often reminds us, we start loved. Um, And we belong here. We belong in the presence of God. And anything that would threaten to rip us from that presence, anything that would threaten to cast the first stone, Jesus, no, no, that, that's, that's not how this works. You don't get to separate anybody from the love of God. That, that's not how this setup is structured. I think that's what living in the light means. Uh, I think that it means that we can approach God boldly as the author of Hebrews puts it. And so I think that story, that, that little story um, that we heard uh, about a year ago now, that captures so much of what it means to be followers of the light. Um, and it sounds a bit Game of thrones don't you reckon? Uh, like, hey, followers of the light. If you say it too often, it just has absolutely no meaning. I've said it way too often this week. <laughs> um, but there's something quite profound about that, isn't it? Uh, isn't there? It's, it's this beautiful image of coming into the presence of God. Um, and then uh, we come back to finish off this, this discourse, this almost sermon that Jesus is giving. Um, and he he just pulls out a few extra points about what it means to be in the light and so as you were reading it I don't know about you but the first time I read it I was quite confused I was like where does this sit in the scheme of things but once you read around it kind of makes a little bit of sense I'm going to break it down a little bit and I think there's I think there's four things um, they're not super profound but they're in there that I just want to pull out around what it means to be Uh, the way, following the way of light. Um, And if you're, if you've got your Bibles open, always encourage that, John chapter 8. And I'm just going to go through these four things uh, just to to touch base on them. Um, The first one that strikes me is that the way of light, Jesus as the great light being, uh, is not self-seeking. Uh, He doesn't seek to glorify himself. He doesn't seek to build himself up, to build his own glory. Instead, he gives it away. He gives it away. Reminds me of Philippians chapter 2, where uh, where Jesus does not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but instead makes himself nothing. I mean, he's born in appearance of humanity. Uh, makes himself a slave. Uh, That's that's the way that it's spoken about. Uh, Jesus does not seek to glorify himself. He doesn't doesn't grab hold of status and power. He gives it away. He gives it away. And you compare that with the Pharisees, uh, the religious leaders that are all over this text, and you see that the Pharisees are constantly playing one-upmanship, the disciples, Jesus' closest followers, are playing one-upmanship. They're trying to work out, how can we get more power? How can we get more strength? How do we gain numbers? How, and in this story, how do we take out Jesus? Um, and there's this really strong contrast, I think, between those who glorify themselves and those who seek to give glory. The way of light... Following Jesus, who is the true light, means not self-seeking glory, I would think. That's that's my little reflection on that. The second second thing that I think we can contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees is it's life-giving. So Jesus says in verse 51, whoever obeys me, whoever kind of walks in this path of light that I'm giving, they're going to never taste death. That is an incredibly profound statement uh, because Jesus is declaring that what we see here, what is tangible here now, it's not all there is. Uh, there is actually an eternity. There is actually a life beyond death. There is actually more to life than just what we see and taste now such that Jesus declares they will never see death. That, that's a declaration that Jesus is making and yet... On the flip side, what's happening for the Pharisees? Uh, they're trying to kill Jesus. Um, that, that, that's their goal in this story. Uh, they're trying to take Jesus out. Um, so, you know, if we were to make it really stark and contrasty, the way of light equals life. Um, the way of darkness equals death. That's, that seems to be a contrast that is being put in here. in the, And I, I realize we're mixing metaphors here a little bit, aren't we? Like, it's, it gets a bit messy. But let, let's just keep rolling with it. Um, the way of life seems to be the way of God. Um, Jesus makes this statement, Before Abraham was, I am. Before, before Abraham was, I am. Now, in order to grasp this, we kind of have to cast our minds back to the book of Exodus when God approaches Moses through a burning bush, and Moses says, well, "What am I supposed to call you?" We're like, well like in, in other words, what is your name?" Um, and Jesus oh, so God's answer from the burning, burning bush is, "I am," and that, that's it. It's this profound statement um, uh, in the Hebrew, that statement, I am, it sounds a lot like Yahwah. which sounds a lot like Yahweh, doesn't it? Um, and what, what he's saying is, I, I'm Yahweh. I'm the one who has existed for all eternity. I'm the one who has been present for every moment of every second of every history that's played out, and I will be there for every moment into eternity forward. And I think what's happening here is that God is telling uh, uh, what's happening i think that what we're supposed to read in that situation is that we are part of this narrative and we find ourselves part of this ancient story where we are enmeshed with the glory of god they can't be separated Uh, the glory of god has been opened up so that we can see uh, and that's in the person of jesus um i find that point confusing but it's there. So let's, let, let's sit with it and maybe chat amongst yourselves later at the pub about what does that mean when Jesus says, I am. And I think the way of light is that it's the way of God. And I think what we can see, especially in the passage before this, is that the Pharisees are called the children of the devil. So Jesus is contrasting light, darkness, God, devil. Sit with that. And the final one, the fourth one, I think is that, that Jesus is setting up this idea that the way of light is truth. Um, and it's contrasted with the Pharisees who were declared to be liars in verse 50, uh, 55. And multiple times Jesus says, very truly I tell you, um, truly, truly I tell you. And the emphasis of that is this statement of fact. It's a statement that is bound in reality. Uh, truly, I tell you, what I'm saying is that you have to understand this. So that's a, a little snapshot of this picture that Jesus gives. Uh, it's this way of living. It's this light way of living in which uh, God is honored. That That's one part of it. In which we as people... Uh, follow this light and we give glory. We give glory to one another. We don't, we don't seek it for ourselves. We, we situate ourselves in the truth. We speak words of life. Uh, and as we, as we follow this way of life, as we follow Jesus, we discover that it's one in which all people have dignity. Uh, all are welcome to walk in this truth. Uh it's it's this bigger picture uh, in which we discover that we have this liberating reality that we're created in God's image, and this is the life that Jesus embodies. Um, it's I don't know about you, when I look at the life of Jesus, I find it altogether enthralling. Um, I find it radical. I find it heart wrenching at points. Um, and then Jesus turns around and he hands over the baton. Um, and he says, now's your chance uh, to be a city on a hill, to be light. Um, that's the idea of light. Um, it's It can be really beautiful. Uh, but I think it comes with a huge caveat, uh, a huge caveat. And this is where I, I look at the story of Jesus. I look at what's on offer and I say so often, I, like, I don't want that. Um, and that, that, that's where I'm kind of going to take this now. Um, this is a caveat. Um, ultimately, where does the way of light get Jesus? Uh, we read it kind of as that story finishes. Um, they pick up stones to try and kill him. Um, and he slips away. Um, and from here on out, the narrative is Jesus being hunted. Uh, from here on out, until they win... It's this story of people hunting down Jesus, chasing him to Jerusalem. And it feels as though the darkness has prevailed. It feels as though the darkness has won. The light has been snuffed out. This grand hope that we had for humanity of God on earth, it's destroyed. But the book of John opens with this. In him, Jesus was life and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so Jesus became the victor over all darkness, over all sin, over all death, over all spiritual powers that stand against God. And yet, with Jesus the victor, In chapter 7, verse 7, just before he kicks off this whole spiel on what it means to live in the light, he says, the world hates me because I testify that the world's works are evil. And then he drops his microphone and walks off the stage. He's like, done. Um, It's these fighting words. It's fighting words. And so at this point, um, I I think this is helpful for me. I'm trying to get rid of a vision of light that is fluffy. Um, I'm trying to get rid of a vision of light that doesn't mean anything. Um, I think that what's actually happening is that when Jesus talks about light, he's talking about combat. He's talking about war. Uh, He's talking about fighting because the darkness is fighting back. The darkness is trying to kill him. And so this vision that we have of light as being quite nice, as being something quite enjoyable, of being something that feels good, it's nice, but I don't think it captures the grandeur of what Jesus is talking about here. And at the end of the day, I don't want a nice form of light. I don't want a comfortable form of light. Don't get me wrong, often I do. And I, like I'd really like that. But there's something bigger. There's something grander that I think Jesus is calling us into. And so let let me lay out what this has looked like for me as I've been reflecting on this through the week. And it might look totally different for you as you reflect on this passage. But for me, this is what I've been thinking. When I live according to the light, the darkness finds it threatening. Those who love darkness are not going to like the light for greedy people, for those who at heart want to pillage and take and plunder and store for themselves wealth so that they can use it for their own pleasure, for them, the sharing of resources equitably is going to feel like theft. And we know that. We know that when we look at the rhetoric in our society, don't we? Uh... For the wealthy, the sharing of resources is not a nice thing. And so as a person of the light, when I say, actually, no, I think that the light way of living is to share resources, I'm going to cop it. I'm going to cop it. And you're going to cop it. For those who peddle false truth for those who make money out of fake news, uh, for those who are enmeshed in conspiracies because of the way that they don't like other people, they've put boundaries up and the conspiracies are their conspiracies are their mental structures for staying away. For those people, truth is going to be a scary matter. But I think part of living in the light is being a person of truth. Um, it's being a person of Integrity and light in that sense. And so for those people, speaking truth is going to be painful. But I still want to do it because that's the way of Jesus. That's the way of light. For those who take comfort in putting down others, for those who find their self-worth by defining the enemy, by creating margins and then pushing people to them, for those people who want to put boundaries up so that they don't have to interact with the other, to those people, the pulling down of boundaries is going to feel like a threat to their very self-identity. I'm still going to do it. Like, I'm going to do it because that's what Jesus does. And those people for whom that is their safety net, I want to be gentle, I want to be careful as I do it, but I'm going to make enemies. Goodness knows I have plenty of them, and I'm still going to keep doing it. Refusing to back down on the fact that it is deeply immoral, That is, it is deeply of darkness, to indefinitely lock away people who have been seeking asylum, refusing to back down on that fact, it's going to get me enemies. It's going to make people uncomfortable around me. I'm going to slash have lost friends on the matter. But I'm a person of the light. And so I can't not speak about that. New City Church is full of people of light. Like I look around at this group of people and what I see is just this overflow of light. This overflow of people who are a city on a hill burning brighter and brighter and brighter. And if you've just joined us here today, this is your warning. Like this place gets heated in a good way because this place knows what it means to be people of light. But that makes us enemies. That gives us people who will stand against us. I refuse to back down on the fact that making families sign a contract that excludes queer kids from schools is darkness. That's darkness. And as a person of the light, I can't just sit by and allow that to happen. New City Church, not on our watch. Calling out racism, structures of racism, instances of racism, dismantling it. That is the work of people of the light. That's what we do. That's what we're invited to take part in. And there's going to be portions of society that rail against that because they're so used to the darkness and the light becomes a threat do you see why i wouldn't want to be a person of the light there's plenty of reasons for me just to step aside and let things pass by there's plenty of reasons for me to not engage in this there's plenty of reasons for you as well to step to the side and let darkness have its day but i don't think that's what you do um I know many of you far too well for that Uh, this is a church that is full of people who passionately follow the footsteps of Jesus and so I think for me as I sit with this the question for us to reflect on is how do we support one another well as we follow the great true light as we align our lives with the light of Jesus, as we step in step with the Spirit who is amongst us. What what does it mean for us to support one another uh, as we face the hostility of the darkness, knowing full well that the darkness will not win, but at this point, we face it. Here's my two little thoughts that I've been sitting with. First one is we remember that it is Jesus who is the true light and not us. We remember that it is Jesus who is the true light and not us. This means that we rest. We rest knowing that our worth, our fundamental worth is not tied up in our work. It's not tied up in our good works. It's not tied up in us trying and trying and trying. That's not where our fundamental worth lies our fundamental worth lies in the fact that Jesus, the true light, has declared us to be children of the Most High God. That's who we are. That's our starting point. Unless we get burnt out trying to be little candles flickering above our weight, let's just remember we're just little lights. Um, Jesus is the one true light. Uh, but the second reflection for me today is that we do this together. If I were to walk out and try in the darkness to be a light on my own I'm going to get snuffed out pretty damn quick but if I come here and I surround myself by other people who are little flickering candles and I say oh I like the way that you flicker and you say Joel I like the way that you flicker and you say oh here's another way to flicker and we gather together each week and we have our presences one another woven into each other's life and we say yeah this was a sucky week I nearly got snuffed out when I got this comment on Facebook and we can say oh yeah that happened to me before but here's what helped me and we actually start talking to one another and sharing our stories of being light and we raise ourselves and we actually situate ourselves on the top of a hill together that's far more powerful don't think that you have to be a little light somewhere floating in the ocean mixed metaphor just being there we get to be together in this. That's what New City Church aims to do. And so we show up. Um, you gather around me. Uh, I gather around you. So we support one another as we seek to be light. Showing up is quite powerful when it comes to being light. Uh, and looking around, I just know that there's so many faces in this room that have encouraged me in that journey. Uh, and I hope that in some way this space has encouraged you as you sought to be light Do you see why I think it's enthralling? Uh, why it's exciting? Do you see why I wouldn't want to do it? Um, but at the end of the day, when I look at the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and there's a narrative that I get to pull, put, be a part of, um, I can't find myself wanting anything else. Um, and so, I guess at the close of chapter 8, uh, Jesus goes off to get killed. And this, the narrative is heading that way. Um, and yet we know that death has not won. We know that darkness is defeated. And I hope for you that this hasn't been a, a session of putting more weight on you. I hope that there's been a, been a session where you can say, ah, oh, I get to be light. I get to do it with the people around me. Um, and I know looking around that this is what so many people in this room want to do. So I'm gonna stop here. We get to sing together. That's exciting, um, masks on, um, but we get to sing, and some of the lyrics that we're going to sing tonight are about Jesus making things new, uh, the way that Jesus takes what is hard and dark and brings light and life, um, and I encourage you to use these words as, um, as a bit of a prayer um, between you and God as we seek to be light in this world. Um, over to you guys.